Right. Does that make any sense? I think so. Say okay. it again. No. A little bit. No. No? No. I'm going to cut most of this out. <laughs> okay. Okay. Welcome back to In Residence. I'm Keith. I'm Laura. Hey, Laura. Hi, Keith. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. 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 How are you feeling? I'm better. I'm getting better. What do you want to talk about? So today, I thought we could talk about imposter syndrome. How would you describe it? I would describe it as a feeling of being unqualified or not good enough at something, so much so that it stops you from pursuing that which you would otherwise pursue. <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's feeling like you're not, I think of it as feeling not qualified or or, or why would anybody listen to me talk about this or that? For me, it shows up in the way of who am I to be in this role or who am I to speak up and contribute to this? Because there are other people that know more, have more experience, have done more, are more accomplished. And so who am I to think that I should have this opportunity or I should take someone up on an opportunity I've been given? Does that make sense? Yeah. So when you do feel that way, how do you get through that in spite of those feelings? How do you step up to that thing that is challenging you? It's usually, For me, it's usually, oh, this is an opportunity for me to step up and grow. It's usually something that I'm uncertain about, and that leads to me feeling like I'm not qualified because I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. There has to be a point where you're, you don't stop every time you feel that feeling. So how, how do you work through that? Yeah, I think... One thing that I've done in the past in particular, there's a couple things I remind myself of. And so one is that if I didn't have imposter syndrome or didn't question whether or not I should be here and doing what I'm doing, I first think, okay, well, one, this is pretty normal. Other people think this. Other people feel this. And if I didn't have some sense of self-reflection, then I... I should be more worried. Well, I think, so you feel that way now because we've seen people write about it and people talk about it, but there's been, there was a time when I just felt like I wasn't good enough. I don't know right. if you felt that before or if you're just like, oh, oh yeah. that, that oh, one yeah. little tiny feeling that so oh, people are talking about that. So I think that's, I mean, that's kind of the point of us talking about it, right? Is there are going to be some people that have only felt the feeling and never talked about it or feel like, oh, I am a failure. I'm a failure because I'm not ready to put myself out in this situation because I don't feel like I'm good enough or I don't feel like I'm skilled enough or talented enough. If And so, like you just said, I think that's, that's kind of like the little connection is if you're feeling that way, it's probably means that you're on the right path. And what I say, what I've, what came to my head over the last several months about that is when I feel that way, I should lean into that and push into that. And my friend Eva, I think helped me find the words for that, which is lean into that uncomfortable growth. And that's just kind of a mantra of mine over the last few months is when I feel myself retracting or pulling back because of those feelings of hesitation, because I don't feel like I can tackle what's in front of me. It's just saying like, okay, I need to lean into this because there's a reason I'm feeling resistance. Then I just think, like we talked about before, what's the next action I can take that'll get me one step closer? And the more I see people talking about it, the more you talk about feeling uncomfortable, 
the more comfortable you become. It's, it's, sure. it's, you know, I see that. It's, it's like, you know, the, the, as soon as you call something out for being uncomfortable, I think it gets a little more comfortable. And the more you do uncomfortable things, that muscle grows. And that's kind of, I think the point is just getting better at recognizing and reacting or preparing before it happens. So you're not reactive or you're taking action beforehand, whatever, whatever that word is. Sure. I'm realizing as you're talking that I had a deeper, I think maybe a deeper reason why I wanted to talk about imposter syndrome today. Awesome. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. And <laughs> I was, uh, the setup that I, I had didn't necessarily do justice to what's in my head. Good. Set it up better then. Okay. Let's go. I will try. <laughs> take, take two. Okay. One thing that is something that I spend quite a bit of time on is thinking about being a woman leader, thinking about how women do and don't support other women leaders and uh, how I can better support other women who are aspiring to be leaders. So several weeks ago, my supervisor, who is amazing, she is a strong woman leader somebody that I am learning a great deal from and feel incredibly supported by. So a few weeks ago, actually, maybe a couple months ago this spring, she gave me a book that she had read. And I'm trying to remember the title, I believe it's When Women Lead. But it's this beautiful book, almost like a Times Life type book where it has these beautiful portraits of women leaders across the world. And then it does a vignette on them. So it talks about a little background about what they've accomplished, their story growing up, what lessons they've learned. And the one thing that I think is really interesting is one of the pieces that every single one of these vignettes has is that each woman leader talks about an object that is meaningful to them. So like Cheryl Crow talked about one of her first guitars that she calls the moneymaker because she's written so many <laughs> songs on it that have been amazing hits. And so so you really get to see a sense of how women have persisted and grown into being very successful in the fields that they do, what matters to them, what lessons they've learned, what advice they'd give. And one of the recurring themes in that book, as I was going through it, was around imposter syndrome and how people have been impacted by imposter syndrome themselves, and also how to continue to move through that and how normal it is. And so for today, I thought it might be really interesting to talk about imposter syndrome because I myself have experienced it quite a bit. And it's not just women that experience imposter syndrome, but I know that I've had multiple conversations with women leaders either mentoring me around imposter syndrome. The book really brought to life that this is not something that's just experienced by, by myself or a few people that are growing in their leadership. And I've also been asked by a number of women leaders as well about that feeling and how do you move through imposter syndrome? And I don't have all the answers, but I have thought about the topic quite a bit and you and I have talked about it a lot. And so I thought it might be worth our time and meaningful for other people to have us dig into that. I think it's really important when we're talking about imposter syndrome and things like that, that one of the best things you can do is talk about it. And 
find community with others that are willing to show up and talk about it also. That's what I'm finding in my creative practice. And in, as I grow in my leadership, the way that I'm seeking to lead, I'm, I'm finding it, it's, it's, it's coming so much easier because of the community I'm finding and almost working through it in public where other people can see my thoughts on it or ask me my thoughts and we can have a discourse about it. And so I think it aligns really well with what you just said is being able to see so many different women leaders talking about something. And as as you grow in your leadership, you get to meet more and more people that are also seeking to grow in their leadership. And as you talk to each other and communicate, you can share ex- your experiences and it just it just multiplies the the potential for growth and for and for learning and, and moving past what feels like a pretty big barrier. And when you realize that there's when you find community that they're they're thinking it similar things and, and feeling similar things about not being good enough is kind of what comes to mind when when I think of imposter syndrome. I like I don't feel like I'm good enough. Uh even that, who am I? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, who am I to be in this yeah. position and pursuing this? Yeah. I feel like that takes a little, that's a little softer for me than I'm not good enough. That feels so heavy, well, judgmental uh, I, to you, me. I mean, you've met me before, right? Like, is, is, there, is there any wonder that that's my script? <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I, yes. It doesn't I sound as harsh to me when I say it, <laughs> but it is, it is flattering that you find it so oppressive. <laughs> I just want to, I, I want to shape it and reframe it just slightly for yeah. you. No, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I feel several layers of, well, who am I <laughs> also, <Sure>. also. <laughs> Do you, so when you think about imposter syndrome and that, who am I to have any business pursuing what it is I'm trying to pursue, being in the spaces that I'm in, one thing, so Before the pandemic happened, I had the opportunity to go to an executive leadership workshop in Arizona with aspiring college presidents. And we had amazing speakers come in talking about what it was like to be a college president, what lessons we could learn from their experiences, and people from across the country and large national organizations that connect to higher education. And I remember having this conversation with with a, a woman leader in a very high profile role um, after the conference, she took the time to have a phone conversation with me and talk about leadership and things that were on my mind about what did it mean to be a woman leader and pursuing my dreams in a field when I didn't feel like I should have the right to even say it out loud. So imposter syndrome. And I remember her saying a couple things to me. And the first thing she said was that imposter syndrome is normal, that everyone experiences it. And if you didn't, that that would be more concerning than the fact that you are. And I've taken that with me. There is a sense of normalizing it and then reframing for myself of it's normal. It's good that you're experiencing it because now you know what it is and you can go and do it anyway. So have you experience that. I know that you've had conversations with folks around imposter syndrome and working through it. Does that resonate with you? Oh, yeah. I, I've had conversations about it more in the last few months than I think I ever have. And even so, <laughs> I still feel it often. You, 
and but it's easier to not get trapped in it. And so I have found that oh, it's almost the exact message you just said that you heard from from that that person is well, it's almost like well, I wouldn't trust you if you didn't say yes to having felt imposter syndrome kind of thing. It's like right. it's like yeah, come join the club, and it's like oh great, okay, cool. It takes a weight off of your shoulders in a way, but it is still kind of there. I think I mean I still have more work to do to to not ever feel it. I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but I do know that it's not a reason to not do. Uh, that was, I think, kind of something else you were, you were saying. Yeah. The um, the other thing that, that I think about, too, when I think of imposter syndrome, is I think about not only is it normal and that you need to move forward and just keep taking steps, but I've found that one thought that I... I try and repeat as I'm going through an experience. Well, there's a couple thoughts. Right now, I may not know everything 100%. And that's not the expectation to know everything 100%. But what I am committed to, and I'm going to hold myself accountable for, is that as I go through this experience, I'm going to be reflective and I'm going to learn. And then as I reflect and I learn... I can implement and show up better the next day. So it's it's that even if I haven't done something before and I feel like, who am I <laughs> to show up and do this thing? I still am committed to, I know it's not going to be perfect. We've talked about perfection. Mm-hmm. But what is it that I can, can I spend some time journaling and debriefing what that experience was like? And maybe if I was to go back and do it again, what did I learn? And maybe what would I do differently? And so I've taken it more as, I would say, maybe a workshop approach than a one-and-done approach. And I don't know if that makes sense. What do you mean by workshop approach versus <clears throat> one-and-done? So so one-and-done, I feel like you prepare, you implement, you go, all right, that's done, never to be thought of again. Okay. Where a workshop approach, I feel like I'm constantly evolving and growing and implementing something and reflecting and reflecting and implementing it in a way that is taking all of that learning in and then is benefiting that process and that that product. So maybe one example is when I have to give multiple presentations in the same topic to the same type of group. So student orientation. I'll I'll give an example. Uh, so when I, for new student orientation this summer, I was giving the uh, parent presentation, talking about what orientation process was like, about how to support your student through this process. And the first time I gave my talk, I walked away and I was like, oof, that was not <laughs> how I wanted it to go. It felt too rigid. It felt too scripted. It There wasn't personality to it. And I didn't think it was as helpful. And so I could have spent lots of time saying, okay, this isn't for you. See, you shouldn't be giving that (laughs) presentation. Mm -hmm. You should have just let your admissions team do it or ask them to do it instead of you. But I, I took it as a challenge going, okay, so these things didn't feel good. And so next time what I'm going to do is I'm going to come in, I'm going to talk more about a personal story I'm going to connect it to specific things that actually are tangible. And so the next time it was better, the third time it was better, 
And so it was one of those, as I go, I try and just learn, reflect and improve. So it's that continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that makes sense. Like a, a workshop, I feel like you're always working on developing where one and done, it feels so high stakes. So what were you talking about before you explained all that? Um, what was I talking about? That's a really good question, Keith. One way to navigate imposter syndrome and not completely alleviate it, but to help minimize that voice that says, what business do you have? Is to to say, okay, so I know that I may not feel like I am qualified to do this thing. But what I do know is I'm going to learn as I go through this. And I'm committed to myself to not just learn, but to hold myself accountable to continue to improve and hone my craft. I think that's what I was trying to say. Because the things that almost require that cycle of doing, uh, reflecting, repeating, seeing if it's getting better, those are the types of things that are worth it, that have the right amount of weight, that they're important enough that we feel the daunting heft that make it worth doing, right? I mean, versus like the one and done, it's like, okay, just get this done and I'll never have to do it again. And so when you're, you're working on a project that requires you to hold yourself maybe to like a, a standard, right? Because you want it to be good because right. you're taking accountability, ownership, responsibility. When you have those types of projects, I think that's why the feeling of not, was I say not being good enough or sure. who am I to, to be doing this? I think that's why that, that feeling should be a signal to lean in. Because it goes hand in hand with something that is worth your effort. And it's something I, I've been learning and in, in, in training myself to not shy away from because the fear of failure is strong in me. <laughs> uh, it's, it's like been, the force is strong in that one. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that's why we're a good compliment is because you'll say things like, well, but if you just start and you try and you get through it once and then you can do it again and then another time and another time. And it's like my my brain isn't wired that way, but I'm trying to rewire it. So that's what I hear when you're, you're saying that is like, don't be afraid to fail because out of that comes another chance, it, you know, and and nothing is usually that high stakes that one misstep is going to lead to a catastrophe. But if you feel that way, that's, that's where you got to do the work. It's like, okay, how can I, how can I realize that this is a calculated risk where it's not life and death? It's simply moving the work forward. Right. So one thing I've been thinking about as, as you've been talking is around the idea of, is the solution to imposter syndrome, simply finding ways to be more confident. And I don't know if it is. The reason I'm thinking through this a little bit is, again, this book that I, I was reading today was talking about how there's a difference. The data suggest that when you look at job postings, you'll see that women will look at a posting and make sure that they see and make sure they meet 100% of the qualifications before applying for a position. Whereas men often will look at a posting and be like, okay, well, I meet about 50% 
of the qualifications, but I bet I could learn the other 50%. And this is a simplification of gender and confidence, right? Right. And imposter syndrome. I'm thinking Dunning-Kruger effect. I think that, that, <laughs> like, like we overestimate how, how qualified we are sometimes, <laughs> or but it, it goes both ways too. But, like, but the question I think that came from that data being shared was how do we get women to be more confident either in the skills that they do truly have so they don't filter themselves out before applying, or how do we build the confidence in women that even if they don't meet all the qualifications, they are capable of learning the other 50%. And so so I'm curious about, about that idea of, is it just confidence that would help us address imposter syndrome, or is it more complicated? I'm not sure if, if it's confidence, but it sounds right. But I do think it's simple. And I think we complicate it or the little voice in our head that tries to keep us safe and, and, and away from failure likes to make us think it's complicated. And I think it ties back into uh, realizing that most people feel it to varying degrees. And that if if we just talked about it more or just realized like, oh, other people feel this way too. Like it's more, it's more of like, a nor- like normalizing it, right? Saying it's confidence sounds simple, and I bet it's a little more complex than that, but it it's not much more complex, I don't think. But the, I guess the the next question is, how do you build confidence in people? How do you how do you or how do you gain that yourself? And for me, a lot of the the questions that we ask ourselves, a lot of things we talk about, to me, it just comes back to making the choice, choosing an action, and seeing the outcome, and then what? What do you do next? What's the next choice? What's the next action? So I don't mean to sound like a broken record when it comes to it, but I'm finding that the more I choose to lean into something, the better outcomes I tend to have, or it's not the outcome I expected. What am I going to do different next time? You know, those are, these are things like you've said to me and helped me work through. And now I'm just getting more repetition with doing the podcast or, you know, and, and having more of a, a routine where I'm needing to create content and, oh, I don't know how to do that. I better go learn how to do that. Oh, that didn't turn out so great. How do I do it better? But yeah, I think, I think confidence, there's probably, I'm, I'm interested to know a better way of saying that. And I think it's simply like you said, how many iterations can you get in on something? I keep, I keep thinking about it because I like that you're saying that maybe it seems simple to build confidence might be a solution. And then I keep going back to it, not to make it more complicated. No, it, it's probably complicated because it's, I think it's more complicated than we think, but I don't think it's as complicated as we think, right? Like that, I'm saying this, I'm, I'm, I don't mean to sound like I'm hedging. <laughs> but I, I think the thing that I just keep thinking about right now is that I keep thinking about examples of when I felt who am I, right? The, the imposter piece. Okay. Do you have one that you can share? So there was a point in my career, I really like working with data. And I made an intentional decision to make a pivot out of the field that I was in to being a data analyst. And making that decision was great. I got amazing experience. I learned a lot. And after several years, I had the opportunity to become a dean over that area. I went for it. I applied for it. I got the position. I worked in that role. And even though I had gotten the role, even though 
I had done the work as an analyst, even though I could see the vision clearly of where we needed to go and had great experience seeing what a robust team looked like, I still had that question of what if I'm found out? What if somebody finds out that I'm I'm not as as talented as they think I might be? <laughs> and I remember one thing that I would do back then. I, I would say, oh, this is the project that they're going to find me out. And so I would spend so much time preparing. I would get up early. I would get to a coffee shop by the time it opened at like 5 a.m., I would spend weekends, I would spend nights. I was obsessed with making sure that how I showed up and the products and programs that I put out were so well done that no one could find me out as the imposter that I thought I was. And so although I was confident that I knew I knew how to do this, I knew where we needed to go, I still had that nagging voice that said, Somebody's going to find out that you don't have the skills or talents that you should have. (laughs) And if you don't work hard enough and think of all the options of how this could go wrong or not be done well and anticipate everything, of course, you're going to be found out for the imposter you are, right? Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so I, I think that's where I was confident in my skills. I knew I could do this, but there was this this other side that just really there was still self doubt though right was it self doubt then even though like you had confidence and self doubt at the same time or how how can you be confident and then think the way you were thinking so that's i was confident in what i knew i was capable of doing we're so different <laughs> <laughs> okay no i was confident that i knew i i knew what I was capable of. Oh, you care what people think. Yes. There we go. Okay. So what does that mean? That finally clicked in my head. Yes. You're confident in your abilities and yet. And I'm committed to learning. And you're wonder- You're worried about how you're being perceived and no. how people are seeing you show up. Yes. But I'm, I'm, I was concerned at that time with it. It was maybe, maybe that's as simple as it was, was that. What if, what if I haven't seen everything that everyone's expecting and I don't meet people's expectations? Yeah, that's, that's holding yourself to a really high standard. That's like, that sounds like me setting that bar so high that who could jump over that bar? And I will say there's a book and now I'm trying to remember the title. It's, um, oh, it's the book my sister shared, How Successful... Women and men will have to get the title of it, but it's it's all about how to counter imposter syndrome. Mm, okay. Remember what I'm talking about? No idea. Um, we have it on our Kindles. Um, but one of the things in there does talk about the striving for perfection and the the tactic that sometimes people use to counter imposter syndrome is overwork and trying to work so hard that you you're undeniable. And I think looking back, that was what I was trying to do. And I think it worked fairly well, but there was no balance. There was complete burnout. So the not having balance, you're talking about you were all work and maybe not enough relaxation, home life to balance it out. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I remember at that time, it was either then or when I was 
a data analyst. I mean, there was, I remember there was one first day of school that I wasn't able to be you were be here. gone before the sun came up. I was gone before up. the sun came yeah. up because I was trying to make sure that I had done my homework and put in the time to make sure that I was doing everything I needed so I wouldn't be found out that I was this imposter, right? Yeah. And I remember coming home and not getting my first day a picture with, it must have been child one yeah. at that time. And I remember taking a picture in the front of our house in the dark. <laughs> And I was probably just like shaking my head, you like off to were. the side, like, oh my God. And I remember taking the picture, giving him a hug, and then just crying. Oh, jeez. Oh my goodness. That was <laughs> yeah. hard. That was hard. So the balance, right? Because you you having the, the drive and the rigor to show up the way you were so that you wouldn't be found out, as you say. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a really good tactic to get stuff done. I mean, and I've, I've been talking about that, how I, I don't have the same rigor. I don't practice the same rigor that I used to. And I need to get back in the habit of being a little more robust in my, my study and my, my brain work and, and holding myself to a, to a higher standard so that it reflects in my work and my work gets better. But doing that and sacrificing the things that really matter, yep. obviously to you, which is yeah, I decided I would family, never do that again. Our family and our kids, right? And that yep. that because you're never getting that back, right? And that I think is so. How do you do both? And 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 I've had people. That's the dream. <laughs> well, I've had people recently ask me, you know, how how are you doing what you're doing, or or them they'll maybe share some of their story, and it'll make me think. I talk about action and choosing and I've not like I make all the right choices and I've, I've sure haven't been in the spots I've wanted to be. And I've had to work more than I've wanted to or less than I've wanted to sometimes. And, and what I've, what I found myself saying, and I, I learned this somewhere and it's like when you try to find, find balance and realizing that there's no such thing as a perfect balance like the scale's never going to be even on both sides. And so it's a, it's called a balancing act for a reason because right. you're actively balancing. And so that's something I think we've been pretty good at. I think actually you know maybe it was Brené Brown that helped me realize it even more when we we were listening to her and she was talking about her and her husband and how they would come home and they'd say, you know, how much percent do you have? Like I'm at a 20, I'm at a 30. Okay, well, you're battery or their Yeah, their battery, their charge. And I mean, we didn't know that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, but we've always been pretty good at checking in with each other. How are you doing? How are you doing? I'm wiped out. Oh, okay. I'm not that wiped out. So I got you kind of thing. It's an active mode of now is work time. Now is family time. So you, you tip the scales, you put the energy, you put the action where it's needed and, and realizing that it is an action. It is movement. It's never going to be perfectly balanced and stationary. It's a good thing to hold in your head or to think about and toss around in your head. And it, because I think it helps take off some of the weight of it's not perfect or it's not right. Or that weight that you feel when it's not working out and it's like, oh, well, what I think I'm supposed to find or supposed to be at, it, it's, it's somebody else's ideal. What is your reality and how are you going to make it work for you? 
right? I think that's important to consider because balance, everyone says balance is the goal, right? It's the gold standard. It's what you should always strive towards. And I worked with a coach once um, who talked about, oh goodness, now I'm trying to remember what it was called. But he would talk about not either or, but both and. I can't believe I'm forgetting it because I've done so many of these different things. He would always say it's very similar to breathing. So you can't just breathe in or just breathe out. They're all connected. So, oh, uh, polarity mapping. That's what it's called. Polarity mapping. And so when you breathe in, once you get your full breath in, then you exhale, right? Because if you don't exhale, what happens? You die of carbon monoxide or dioxide. (laughs) I don't know which one. Yeah. And so you exhale. And then if you stay in the state of exhale, then what happens? You don't get enough air. You don't get enough air. So you have to breathe in. And so it's the cycle of breathing in and breathing out. And there's never perfect balance achieved because you're moving to and from each pole. And so I'm saying that because I thought it was a helpful tool to just think that it's not work. It's not home. And there's not a perfect balance state because you're coming and going from each of those states more fluid than sometimes I think we think when we're trying to achieve the perfect balance. It's not static. Yeah. It's, it's, it's called life, you (laughs) know? And I think that's what there's a shift happening too, where people want, you keep hearing people want more balance between work and life. And yeah, I, I agree with that, you know, and there's better ways of saying it, I'm sure. But I think the days are over, are hopefully going to be over soon for, for most people that may find themselves in a situation that you're in, you know, a decade ago and having leave before the sun came up and not coming home until the sun was already down. Yeah. You know, unless that's what you want, more power to you if it works for you, right? But if it's not working for you, that's the key is, so how do you make the change? Because you need to know you at your core. And for me, that didn't work for me. But I think I stayed in that state for several years. So I'm thinking of something. I'm thinking of something that we we were talking about last time a little bit. And I don't know if it actually made it in the podcast. So we went on our vacation, our anniversary trip. Yep. And you were talking about getting recharged. Yeah. And it's interest. It's interesting to me, like you say that a lot. And I think this more. I don't know if you can see this. Read it. So this is a quote that was in a, a talk. And I, I don't think I ever heard it before, but it's, it's Seth Godin. And it's, instead of wondering when your next vacation is, maybe you should set up a life you don't need to escape from. Mic drop, Seth Godin. Yeah. And I, and I don't think that's necessarily what you're looking for on vacation. Like you say recharge, you're not like some part of me sees you needing to escape <laughs> from the day to day a little bit. Well, I think es- escape might be a little strong, <laughs> Yeah, but I do think sometimes there's something freeing about feeling like you don't necessarily have to have the responsibility of continuing to just keep going. If that makes sense. Like you're, you're making kind of a face right now. Whenever you say the J word, just, I cringe a little bit because I try not to say that, which is another Seth thing. And I know it's not that big a deal, but it tends, it falls in the same category as should with me. 
Um, it, it's usually used in that same way where it's more of like a value judgment on what I should or shouldn't be doing if I just did this uh, or that. So that's so that's why I kind of made a face because every time I hear that word, it, it sounds it's it's like the same as when I say should. I should do this. I should do that. And you're like, stop shitting on yourself. <laughs> yeah, no. And I think sometimes I use it not not in that connotation, but more of a maybe it's to simply to simply uh, not feel like I have so much responsibility or, yeah, so no, but I get what you're saying. What's interesting, that quote, one thing that has always maybe picked me up or charged me up or just made me really excited is knowing what is the next vacation I'm going on. And not necessarily because I feel the need to escape, but just the idea that it's it's fun to look forward to a time where you are responsible only for you and your family's enjoyment. You're an adventurer too. I do like adventure. And yes. and so it's more of and maybe we need to start saying that instead of we we went on an adventure instead of a vacation. Uh I think we went on an adventure. Yeah, we did. Yeah, because because I kind of agree with like I don't necessarily need a vacation from like my day to day cuz fortunate enough <laughs> Like I still have some hard days here and there, but I'm getting to kind of choose what I want to do for the first time in a long time. And it's fulfilling and rewarding. Uh, and I plan to make it more and more of both of those things. So I, I tend to miss what I've cultivated when we go away on an adventure sometimes. That doesn't mean we can't. And it mean it just means like, okay, well, how do I bring those things that I might miss along. Is it having an iPad with so I can do certain things or just a notebook or this or that, you know, or make sure I make time for a walk, you know? You know, what's interesting is sometimes when you bring like an iPad or things like that, I feel, I feel like you aren't taking a break. And now, now maybe I'm understanding a little bit more why. Yeah. Because I don't, it's not, I don't need a break from some of the things it's, it's actually, I, I find that I need a little bit of a project a lot of the time, even if it's vacation. It's, it's just, I don't know, the way I'm wired a little bit or, or the fact that I just enjoy the things that I get to work on, maybe. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I've, I've thought when you uh, are, are bringing stuff, I feel like there's a pressure there to keep going, but I might just be putting that upon you. Actually. For me, it's it's more of it's a in case I have time and feel inclined to do something, I can. Where it's just like having having a pocket notebook, a pen, a pocket knife, and a and like a bandana. It's just things I feel like I might need. You know, it's a like everyday carry kind of thing. Uh, it's just what you know, you know, phone, wallet, keys, and then what else do I need with me if I'm leaving the house kind of thing. And then so then if it's like we're going away for a few days, then it's like. That's the, I need to kind of plan and, and prepare. And that probably, that's probably showing some more of my neuroses and stuff. Uh, and my, my aversion to a change in schedule or the, the decision fatigue that I, I can sometimes get when we're out. Mo mostly used to get. Now it's not, it's not as bad because we, it's like kind of how we started. It's like, if you can simply acknowledge the thing that is affecting you, I think a lot of the, the tumult goes away. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I can, if I can simply say, I'm a little nervous, I'm not going to be able to find something I like to eat. I don't want to eat something that's going to make me not feel good. So can we please find something or do a grocery pickup? Uh, 
I just I feel better being able to do that and being able to say that, you know. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. I was going to see, do you want me to look at that book anymore? I forgot about it until we started talking. Sure. So the book is called The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women and Men, Why Capable People Suffer from Imposter Syndrome and How to Thrive in Spite of It. So one of the things that that I highlighted in this that I wanted to talk to you about was around imposter syndrome, specifically around those who are creative. Here is what it says. So according to one study, a mass of 87% of people in the creative industry have experienced imposter syndrome. And why wouldn't they or you have these feelings? The very nature of creative work makes those who do it vulnerable to feeling inadequate, especially if you're not formally trained. And so I wanted to ask you about that because our podcast, this project, neither one of us is really formally trained to be a podcaster or editor. Mm -hmm. It's a creative project. It's something we're enjoying doing together. Does that resonate with you? And if so, how? And if not, how did you work through that? Because I know at the beginning, we hesitated. Yeah. But does it resonate with you? Oh, yeah. It resonates. How so? All of those things I feel and think. I am not trained or... Is that how they said it? Formally trained. Yeah. I am yep. I'm not formally trained in, I think, almost anything that I'm doing pertaining to this project. Uh, aside from having one class in the music program about recording, sure. but none of, I'm using none of that software that we used. We're not using the same mics. Technology is completely different. It's, yeah, pl- it's, say, it's probably changed it's, quite a bit. It's plug and play. Uh, it wasn't intensive enough for me to, to learn anything that would pertain to this. But now that I'm thinking about it, I did take a communications course where I had to do voiceover and stuff. Cool. But again, that was using a tape recorder. <laughs> tape, cassette really? tape. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know? It was the aughts. Yeah. Early aughts. So, no, I'm not formally trained. I've I've had to learn, like, the video editing software, the, the sound editing software. I, I've learned that on my own through YouTube or Skillshare. That's the thing. That's And that's, that's part of what is so invigorating to me. It's, there's so much that can be that you can find. If like you, if like I've said it before, if you're listening to this and you have something you want to do, there's almost nothing stopping you except for yourself and and maybe your thoughts of being an imposter because there's so many free things that are very helpful and then there's things that are like if you didn't spend money on a couple things that are just kind of frivolous like during a month, you'd be able to pay for a course. I, I will say, sorry, no, I'm thinking, because you're absolutely right, but that, that voice can just be a bear. Mm-hmm. So I've started calling mine Shady Laura, yeah, which, which I think is helpful when I get that voice in my head of saying, you should have done it this way. You're not good enough. You're not doing this right. I'm like, okay, Shady Laura, knock it off. Yeah. I've enjoyed that. Did I answer the question. I, I think you did. And the, the thing I think is also interesting is around creatives and imposter syndrome in particular is the author also talks about that it's creative work is also really difficult when it comes to imposter syndrome, because you're defined not only by your work, but by artistic and literary standards that are completely subjective. Yeah. And that you're only as good as your last painting, book, in this case, podcast, episode, right. 
and that pressure, when you think about that, it's like, whew, yeah, spot on. And and the the standard or the the rating is subjective, right? Mm-hmm. It, to who? Absolutely. To whom? <laughs> to whom <laughs> is it good? <laughs> or or who thinks it's bad? Right? It it's all subjective. Same with like if the podcast is successful to me, it could mean a lot of different things. If it's if I'm not talking about the number one ranked podcast in blah 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 category, but even that is still out of how many people. Right, like, right. out of how many billions of people are ever going to hear this, we'll be lucky to get a percent of a percent, and that's enough, though. Too a percent know. of a percent. What does that mean? <laughs> it means not very many people are ever going to listen to this. That actually makes me feel okay. Yeah, I, I, I no, will that's say my point. because you know how much anxiety I have about how I show up, what people think. Yeah, but that <laughs> so the fewer people. <laughs> <laughs> that's my point, and and I and I saw in in purple space it came up again. That's why I, maybe that's why it's in the front of my head, and I just needed to tell myself that I don't need a million, not even a million people. I don't need to think about needing that many people to make a change, to make a difference. It's it's a far smaller percent, and it's okay. You know, like we're we're humans do not understand scale very well, right? Like million is a lot. Oh gosh, yeah. You know, and and other so and lots of different people have really good ways of of showing scale and like like oh, you want to be a millionaire. It's like, well, how about you start think about making 100,000, you know? And I think it's just it's a way to if if you're trying to think like yeah, think big, sure. But I I, I try not to get stuck in that. It's more of like how small of a change can I make and realizing how big of an impact that can make. It's just one person. So I'm rambling, and I'm going to probably cut most of that out. Okay. You ready? So I'm going to talk through these and just see what resonates with us. The seven ways that imposters try to avoid detection. Hmm. And this is, again, in the the book, The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women and Men, uh, and how to address imposter syndrome. So the first is over-preparing and hard work. Mm -hmm. I think we talked about that. Check. Check. Okay. The next is holding back. So holding back can take many forms. (laughs) It can mean just not doing it. Might as well just not do it so people don't know that I failed. That sounds a lot like perfectionism, right? It does. Like I'm not going to start because it can't be perfect. Exactly. So number three is maintaining a low or ever-changing profile. So so really choosing consciously to not, not put yourself out there. Yeah. Can't be hurt then, right? Right. Here's one, four, number four, is using charm or perceptiveness to win approval. Now, this one resonates with me a great deal. Because you know me? or <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes, you are incredibly charming, my darling. Uh, no, no, because using charm or perceptiveness to win approval, when I naturally am a people person, I like to build networks, build connections, build authentic relationships. And at the same time, I, and see, now I'm having imposter syndrome, even admitting to this and saying it out loud. Okay, well, lean into that and share it with everybody because it'll be very beneficial for a lot of people. Okay, I will share this. You heard how we started the last podcast, right? I did, yes. All right, yes, so yes, you yes. can do this. Okay, 
So using charm or winning approval, that is something. So I work incredibly hard when I feel like I maybe have that that voice of who am I? Because I figure if I can put in the hours, the time that I can make something that maybe would take somebody qualified two hours, even if it takes me eight, at least I'm putting in the time and learning and developing that skill. But this is another piece, building relationships, being liked, being genuine and generous. Uh, And not just to, I mean, I don't like to be liked to win people over, but I do think that being a team player, being liked, building relationships, having connections makes it easier I know I'm talking in circles. Yeah. I'm trying to say it. Huh? Okay. So I think one, one phrase. So I'll say it really, I'll try and say it more straight. One phrase that I learned when I was traveling as a leadership consultant. So after college, I traveled for a year. I was on a plane every couple of days. And one thing I learned when I was traveling was a phrase that I continued to take with me, which is you get more flies with honey than vinegar. So what that lesson is to me and what I I still do today is if you show up, you're kind, you're easy to work with. I don't know if charming, I feel like that's just like an overstatement. And I don't, I want to be charming. I want people to think I'm charming, but I feel really weird saying that I'm charming. So I, I think creating relationships by being a kind person that's easy to get along with is also a tactic to work through imposter syndrome because you're building allies, relationships, and people that are cheering you on. Even if they know that you aren't the most qualified person in the room, at least you feel like you have people in your corner that are cheering for you, even with your imperfections. Yeah, I think- I I think that's what I'm trying to say. Okay, so I would rather work with somebody that's kind, generous, and just an all-around stand-up person that needs a little more time to learn the skills to do the job than somebody that's a jerk. Sure. So really don't know where we were. It was number four. Use of charm or perceptiveness to win approval. And so so you talked all around it, but I don't don't (laughs) think you said the thing you were afraid to say. I think you talked so much that you still didn't say why you were hesitant to say anything about that. So I, I think the whole point of what I was trying to say is that in a way... I think building connections, being easy to work with is in a way charming. And by prioritizing that, I feel like it is one tactic to that I use as well to combat imposter syndrome, building networks, creating people that are cheering for you. So the quote, though, on this one that I think will potentially help, and this is probably why I'm talking in circles a little bit. So the quote is, I figure if I can just keep them laughing, maybe they won't see that I don't have a clue. But when you do manage to impress, you feel like a phony. So so I think that's the thing where it's putting your energy into being likable and getting people on board. But then when you do good work, you attribute the the feeling of people being impressed with what you did with you just being phony and that they're just saying that because they like you. Okay, number five, yeah. procrastination. <laughs> yep, and I know it well. So I don't know, Do we? we don't really need to dig into that, do we? Okay, number six is never finishing. So they use the example of a doctoral student who continues to languish in the state of completing their dissertation never to complete. And that's that's a tricky one. 
So, so they delineate a little bit because procrastination is just delaying the work. We're never finishing is never getting the job done. So they say that procrastinators actually do finish. Eventually. Eventually, <laughs> right? Because she never stops bugging you about it. That's true. I mean, <laughs> sometimes you just have to show up and get it done, Keith. <sighs> I know. Yep. And then the last is self-sabotage. And what they're talking about there is that you might stay up super, super late before something that's important. So then that speech you had to give or that project you had to pursue wasn't successful or wasn't as successful as you wanted because you're kind of hedging your bets against yourself because you're too tired or maybe you drank too much wine the night before. So if I did poorly, it wasn't because I'm not capable. It's because I was hungover. Give yourself like an excuse. Yep. Yeah. And so those those are the seven. Can you just read them all in sure. a list form? Yep. Okay. So the list is seven mechanisms people use to combat imposter syndrome. Number one is over-preparing and hard work. Number two is holding back. Number three is maintaining a low or ever-changing profile. Number four, use of charm or perceptiveness to win approval. Number five, procrastination. Number six, not finishing. And number seven, self-sabotage. Awesome. So I think those those are strategies, perhaps, that we use naturally to try and alleviate imposter syndrome. So I see those as ways that we act left to our own devices. <laughs> it's kind of like us in the wild in our natural state. <laughs> The book also talks about ways that you can start addressing imposter syndrome. I'm not going to go through all of them. I don't think we need to spend all that time doing that. But the one thing that might be interesting to think about is the first thing that they say that you should do is that you need to recognize the crusher is what they call it. So the crusher is a core negative belief we hold about ourselves. So that is the first step to start unpacking imposter syndrome. What they want you to do is really think about what is the crusher statement that you keep telling yourself. It says one way to identify your crusher is to imagine the statement you would most dread hearing said aloud about you in your imposter scenario. So whether that's you'll never measure up, you have no special gifts, you're not as intelligent as other people, you have no talent, you're not an original thinker, or simply you're unworthy. So I don't know what you think about that, but how does it feel to think about what is that crusher statement that creeps in for you? Do you have one? I'm sure I do. So I'm thinking, um, when I think about my scenarios, especially around work, mm -hmm. the thing that if I was in my imposter scenario, if somebody said it, it would just be like, oof. So the statement I would hear is, she doesn't know what she's doing. Yeah. You've been talking about that like the whole time. So that makes sense. Yeah. She doesn't yeah. know what she's doing. And that, that would be the statement that it's like, okay. That would crush you. That would crush me. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, because the truth is you don't always know what you're doing. There is some truth to it. But I mean, the one thing that the book says is that crusher statements are lies. <laughs> so I think, I think that's important to remember and tell yourself. But I also think, I, I guess maybe it's my tactic of, but if I work hard enough, <laughs> if I work hard enough that then... <laughs> 
you don't have to feel that. I don't have to feel it. Yeah. It's okay. At least you you find a way to compensate for that feeling, right? Or that thought. A strategy, a tactic, something you can actually do. Yeah. Rather than sit with yourself. Yeah. (laughs) And your thoughts. Yeah. Do you have a crusher statement? Yeah. My guess is it boils down to, I'm not good enough. You know, I want to hug you right now. <laughs> I think I think that's that's probably the root of the feelings of self doubt, fear of failure, the perfectionism. It can probably come come down to oh, I'm not good enough, and so that's why I have all those those other things, or why they they're they're enhanced by that, or they enhance those thoughts or feelings, and then that's where procrastination comes in. Is well, I'm not going to start because I'm not good enough to do it kind of thing. And then I maybe never finish. So it's, yeah. Yeah, that's that's hard. Yeah. But it's also, you know, it's interesting. I think you and I have talked about that thought, I'm not good enough. And the idea that the product isn't, I think we might have talked about this podcast or two ago, that it's not the product isn't going to be what I want it to be right now, but it's going to be 80% because that's where my skill is right now. Next time it'll be 81 and then 83 and then 86, whatever it is. It's that as you learn and grow and develop and practice, it'll get better and better. Yeah. And that's the point, finding a, a way to practice, even though it's not good right now. The point isn't that it's good right now. The point is that you're acting and you're actively seeking to make a change. You can make a change in yourself so you can make a change for others is is the way I'm approaching the work. I want to be better, but I want to be better so that I can help other people be better. Yeah. And uh, that's really generous. And it's it's just it's what I feel pulled to do. And so it it just feels right. It doesn't feel like I'm being generous. It actually I question whether or not I'm being selfish. But the more I, I think of that, hmm? I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I think the, the, honestly, it's, it's a win-win. It, like if I, if I can take care of myself, if I can help myself be well, then I can help others be well. And so I think the feeling of selfishness is a tactic for resistance to keep me from leaning in. And so that's why I bring it up is because it's okay <laughs> to be a little selfish. It's okay. It's it's mostly self care. <laughs> There's and no no one's ever really gonna get down on you for taking care of yourself. And the benefit of taking care of myself or being in a good place means that I can help others also. That's a good thing, and it helps. That helps me focus on moving forward in spite of all the forms of resistance I feel. You know. I'm, I'm not good enough. Fear of failure leads to hesitation, self-doubt, procrastination, all those things. Uh, what's the next smallest step? And, f- and whatever you're trying to do or whatever I'm trying to do, don't need to hit a home run. Get sw- on the base. Yes. And that starts <laughs> with swinging. Gotta take swings. You know. Don't and just watch the pitch. <laughs> yeah. I'm rambling. Rambled so much and not really sure where we started. We just started about crusher statements. Yeah. I've gotten well, what's the word? I've gotten well acquainted with the feeling self-doubt, the hesitation, the resist, those forms of resistance. I've become well acquainted with them over the last few months. I've known them for a long time, but I didn't, I didn't know how to recognize them. And I think that's 
what like thinking of what is that statement that keeps keeps you down if you can if you can figure out what that voice is saying what that statement is i think that'll really help a lot of people because you, the feeling has been there for a long time i just never had a name for it or i'm i imagine you're like why why like what you would say is why won't he just go and do the thing that i want him <laughs> to do or the project around the house or this or that and it's like because i'm going to fail at it <laughs> you know and I see you in such a different way of you're so capable and you're such a learner. I was like, he's got all the tools in the toolbox, literally and figuratively. <laughs> that I mean, that's one thing. <laughs> that's one thing that that is a good way to motivate me is like, well, if I do that, I can buy that tool. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's, you know, I need it, a rotor or what oh, is it? Rotor? That's for a car. Router. Router. Sorry, router. Router. I don't know these things. I, I, yeah, it doesn't have to be like for house projects or whatever. Whatever your project is, if you start the project, that means you need to have the right equipment and the right tools, and that could be something to lean into. And if you have to be thrifty, you have to be thrifty, but maybe lean into that. Get yourself a nice notebook. It doesn't have to be an expensive notebook, but get something that's like, that's my notebook for working or th thinking through my ideas, and this is my fancy-looking pen that only costs a dollar. I don't know. What else are you thinking about over there? So we started talking a little bit about uh, confidence and... I don't know what that is. <laughs> no, but confidence, right? And I'm, I know. I'm joking. I know you're joking. And how maybe that confidence is the simple way. Could If we were could be more confident, that maybe that would crush this imposter syndrome that we feel. And this book actually talks about competence mm. instead of confidence and and talks about that every imposter, quote unquote, has a distorted view of their competence and how, how competence is connected to perfectionism with imposters. Mm. So if you don't have the competence at 100%, then of course I'm an imposter. Right. right? Yeah. I can see that feels very, feels very interchangeable, confidence and competence. And it resonates with me. And it also, it just sounds like another excuse to not do and not choose to act. And if I only had confidence, right, or if I was more competent, I could do it. I think, I don't think there's a way to solve. I th this is maybe where we were talking earlier. And I'm like, what were we talking about? But how do you solve imposter syndrome? I don't know if you do. I don't know if you can, you know. Yeah. And actually, I don't know if you should. Right. Fully. I mean, if, if you if you do, are you a sociopath or a narcissist? <laughs> you know, right? And, and my whole point is, it's okay to have a little self doubt, but if it's keeping you from doing something, how are you going to get over that hurdle? How are you going to push that boulder up the hill, or how are you going to push it down the hill? Yeah, there's some there's something there when you when you talk about confidence and competence. It's kind of it's almost like triggering me a little bit, oh, and really? it it feels like it's. It feels like an an excuse, or or like there there's a there's a way to build your confidence and to become more competent. And it's like, yeah, there is, and it's not easy. Saying like, oh, if you have more confidence and you have more competence, you'll get through this. It's like, okay, so how? Because the reason I don't have those is because I'm dealing with self doubt, fear of failure, perfectionism, procrastination. If I beat those things, then I'll have confidence and competence. So I don't care about confidence and competence. I care about how do I get those things, not how do I be those things, right? Does that make sense? It does, but I actually, I see them as very different. Really? I do. 
I do. <sighs> Let's get into it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's what this is about, right? So, so competence, and maybe it's because of my crusher statement, right? Of doesn't know what she's talking. She doesn't about. know what she's doing. It's funny that that's the one thing I can remember. Is my crusher statement? Oh my gosh! No. <laughs> does that voice in your head look like me? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No. Maybe it does. <sighs> okay, your crusher statement. My, so, but is is that she doesn't know what she's doing, right? And so, so the the competence piece. I think that's the thing where I have the book learning. I've done all the education that I can do. Well, not all the education in my field I can do, but I have all the degrees attained pretty much in my field. And there's, you're always learning. Mm -hmm. So I never think I'm done with learning. And I can always continue to practice and hone my craft. So to me, that's a competence thing. Confidence to me is coming in and just being like, all right, let's go. I got this. You're on this journey with me. We're going to make this work. We'll adjust as we go. Like for me, the confidence, (laughs) and maybe this sounds silly, but I've always been, even when I was a little kid, and I don't know, if you ask people, I was the kid in the neighborhood that was like, okay, everyone, we are now going to have school out of my garage and I'm going to be the teacher. And I appointed myself the teacher and I was like, okay, so we're going to learn stuff. We're going to do handwriting. And I don't even remember what, Mm -hmm. right? Like I always have had this confidence that there's something I want to do. I'm just going to do it. When it comes to competence, I always want to learn more and gain more skills to become better and better and better. Hmm. So I see them as different. Always, because it doesn't sound like you needed it back when you were being a school teacher. That's fair. That's fair. I think there's some things when it feels more high stakes, I think I want to gain more tangible skills that aren't just coming from within. Does that make sense? What you said makes sense, but I don't quite understand what you're saying. So I think I think the thing that I'm trying to say is there's this confidence when you lead with your gut. When you say, all right, I know where we're headed. I know where we're going and go on this journey with me. So for me, there's this confidence of, I may not know all of the stops along the way, but I know where we're going Mm -hmm. and we can get there if we do it together. The competence piece (laughs) is that I may not know every single stop along the way or have all the skills right now. As we're going along the way, but for darn sure, I know how to get those skills. Like I'm pretty confident that I'm a learner Mm -hmm. and that I know how to bring people together. I don't always have every single skill that's needed to make those steps along the way. And so I think part of the strategy that I've used is that I lean into other people that have those skills. That's why you build a team. That's why you build a team of people that have different skills than you, really. Mm-hmm. Or you learn about it, you read about it, you use your resources. And so that's why I think that there are two slightly different things. So I never said they were, weren't were different, Okay, but they bring up the same feeling in me. Okay. And now I know why. Okay. Because you are confident and you're competent. You you might think you're not competent. Not always. 
Right. But you are competent enough to realize that you can learn whatever you want. And, sure. And, yeah, I feel confident And you're in competent that. enough to realize it may not be worth my time to learn that. Hence, I find somebody that's better at it than me, and they will bring something to the team. And let them shine. My goodness. Exactly. You don't have to know everything. That sounds pretty competent to me. <laughs> and so what I didn't maybe quite say. See what you did there. Yep. What I didn't maybe quite say, and what is very apparent after you explaining how those two terms are different, is that I'm neither in my head. I am not uh-huh. confident. See, no, uh-huh. It, to me, there's a power in identifying that. Okay, like, that's fair. That's you don't fair. need to feel sad for me. I mean, you, you can. It's fine, but it's not helpful. I just want to give you a hug. I know. I keep wanting to give you hugs. Right. I'm, I'm not trying to be a sad sack. I'm just saying I don't feel confident in my abilities, and I don't feel competent in my knowledge around a lot of the things that maybe we're talking about or in the day-to-day even. And that's why I talk about uh, wanting to be more rigorous. It's because I want to feel more competent. I want to be, and that's why I'm a, I'm a learner too. We talk about that. It's yeah. because I'm, I'm always looking for the next thing or another thing that will unlock a door or turn on a light. Now with so that's kind of my my default. That's like that's where I sit. But I'm gaining confidence and I'm working on my competence. It's just that you're like I'm confident. I'm not and I'm not I'm not competent maybe though. And then you go on and proceed to talk about how competent you are whereas I'm like I'm not confident. I'm not competent, but I'm working on it. And I think we do share the similarity of and I love how you said this before. I don't know, but I can learn that. Yeah. And, and it's powerful. Yeah. Right? And I don't, not me. I'm not powerful. The no, concept, that, con- that concept, yeah, you're powerful too. That concept, I really want, like, that's a key takeaway. And that's something that I hold on to. And I, I hope other people hold on to is it can be learned. And if it, <laughs> and it might, but it might not be worth your time. It, it, you can look it up. You know, whenever you want. But if there's something that you feel you want to know, you can figure it out. Yeah, especially in this day and age. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're no longer to the point where if you want to find something out, you have to order it on like interlibrary loan Mm. and hope they have a book somewhere in your county. Even if that has to happen, that's still better than 50 years ago, 100 years ago. Okay, can I share something in the from this book yep. again around competence? Impromptu book club. Sorry. So this is this is the new competence rules for the expert is what it says, but I think what they mean by expert is as you're moving through this process that you are digging deep. So the book title is The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women and Men: Why Capable People Suffer from the Imposter Syndrome and How to Thrive in Spite of It by Dr. Valerie Young. And so when they're talking about new competence rules, here are a couple things that I think are interesting. When you think about competence, there are many paths to expertise. There is no end to knowledge and that competence means respecting your limitations. And even when you don't know something, you can still project confidence, which I think is exactly what we were just talking about a little bit, right? I already said that. You did. I didn't even read the book. the book now affirmed you. Oh, thanks. Aren't you happy? Thanks, book. The thing that I just wanted to talk about 
How do you address it, right? We talked about learning, we've talked about competence and confidence, and maybe how to cultivate some of those things, or at least pay attention to them. The other thing in the book that they talk about is that with your crusher statement is essentially having a statement that you use to counter it. I was gonna say fight back. Uh (laughs) It's not about fighting back, but kind of a, a counter statement. And so when you think about that, do you think that that could be a useful tactic? It's very useful to have affirming statements, affirmations, like, uh, it's a mantra. It's yeah. Cause if you constantly have negative thoughts or negative statements, it's negative thoughts, right? Like, so how do you, yeah. When you constantly have negative thoughts, you need to combat it or counteract it. You need to, you need to change. You need to make a change. And I think the best way to do that is switch the tape that's playing in your head. And it's by getting different inputs. Yeah. Yeah. And I th- so you made me think about when I was a resident assistant in RA in college. I remember we would call the uh, kind of the negative thoughts cold pricklies oh. and uh, good thoughts warm fuzzies. And so if you had a cold prickly, you're supposed to counteract it with two warm fuzzies. Oh, nice. <laughs> so if you have like that negative thought, or that imposter voice coming, that cold prickly, is there a way to counteract it with a couple warm fuzzies? Do you have any? Oh, gosh, do I have any? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think the one thing when I'm told that thought of that crusher of she doesn't know what she's doing, one of the thoughts I often think is, I may not know what I'm doing 100%, but I do have experience in this area. I have been learning. And I'm committed to continue to learn to do this better the next time. How about you? I have a few phrases that when I'm journaling and part of my journaling is like writing down like an affirmation is I think it's the five minute journal has one of it is like, what's an affirmation for the day kind of thing. And it's kind of like how you pull quotes. Yeah. Right. I, I do this similar thing and it tends to be Seth <laughs> and I, I draw a lot of energy and confidence from the phrase people like us do things like this. I write that often simply because when I feel like I'm not good enough, it's usually because something's feeling hard and that's probably why I say it a lot to you too. Cause sometimes like when we're having conversations and you're, you're having a rough go with the situation. And obviously when I have the same experiences, it's just like, well, you just want to give up. Right. It's like, it's like, what am I supposed to do? And it's like, well, people like us show up and do things like this to make it better. We, we don't just walk away. We don't quit. We figure out a way. And, and I pair that with make things better by making better things. Right. And I want to make things better through making better things but it's also making myself better so that I can make better things is yeah. another way of it. So it's important. It makes the, the self-doubt go away, especially when there's other people that are generous enough to show up and say, I think that too, or this is how I'm feeling. Does anyone else feel that way? And then someone will be like, oh yeah, that's, that's imposter syndrome or, oh, that's self-doubt. Like, oh yeah. Like that resistance. I feel that too. Let's figure out how to punch it in the face. <laughs> so yeah it might be hard and if it's hard it's probably because you're on the right track so lean in and keep pushing forward keep going 
Yeah. Let's let's end on something you've been listening to, reading, watching. Do you want me to start or would yeah, you Yeah, you start because I'm not sure yet. <laughs> okay. It'll come so, to me. The Female Lead, We Rise by Lifting Others by Edwina Dunn. And it's vol- volume two. So this is the one I talked about where I first got the idea of talking about imposter syndrome today because it's all focused on women leaders, their journeys, their experiences, what influences them, what advice that they would give others. But it's a really powerful book for women leaders who are trying to make a change and find the strength to keep going. And it was very generous of these leaders to be so open and share of themselves so freely. Keith, what about you? I've been watching Rick Beato's YouTube channel. He had Kirk Hammett on, so I watched that whole thing and listened to it. It just reaffirms how much I love music and how much I need to play guitar more. (laughs) And it's working because you came down the other day and we're chatting and I just grabbed the guitar and I'm like, I need to be playing guitar right now. And and it wasn't to not be listening to you. It's just like, I'm like, I I can do this quietly. (laughs) It was great. It was our vibe. Yeah. So I'm really enjoying it. And I think there's even a lot more there that I haven't even tapped into yet. Like I watched a couple interviews and him do a couple kind of overviews of like pop music and how it's not the same as it used to be kind of thing. So it's a little, it's a little like, old man, yell at sky a little bit. <laughs> Get off I, my I don't lawn. Mean to, sorry, that Rick, I don't thing. mean to call you an old man, but I, I feel I, I'm there with you. <laughs> Simpatico uh, <laughs> in a lot of ways, but he's got a great ear. He can break down pop music in four seconds from just hearing it. And he was playing on guitar with it. So he's got the ear training. He's got all the stuff. He knows minor sevens, diminished nines. Like he knows all of it. All the stuff that like I know about, but don't have like the rigor. Like I don't have, I just, I don't have the practice. Yeah. Right. I never, I never kept that practice going past college. So it's kind of, I say this a lot, but it invigorated me like, right. It's kind of lighting me up. So I'm enjoying that YouTube channel. I'll link to it. We'll do a link to the the book you mentioned. Sounds good. And I think that's all I can think of right now. I just encourage everyone go out, make it happen. Whether or not you believe that you're where you need to be. Whether or not you believe it, that just means you're the right person. So go for it. Yeah. Do good work. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye.